Thank you, Bishop Nicholson. You know, I wish I could tell you tonight that I came to preach to everybody because that would be the polite thing to do. Uh, that would be the nice thing to do because you took the time to get dressed and come to church uh, that I should preach to everybody. Uh, but some of y'all act like you were born on the streets of gold, speaking in tongues, coming out the womb. Uh, I come to preach to somebody that's been going through something. Uh, I come to preach to somebody that life's been doing some things to. I come to preach to somebody that knows they need God to do something in their life right now. Because sometimes uh, when you come into the house of God, uh, the ushers at the door to open the door, you feel so low. You say, I just slip right in. I don't even have to open the door for me. Uh, I feel so low. I can just walk right under the door. But I come to tell somebody that we serve a God who's a way maker. We serve a God who's a deliverer. And we serve a God who specializes in making a way out of no way. A few years ago, I was in my car, and one of my favorite songs came on the radio. It was my jam back then, uh, a song by Mary Mary that said, Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. Uh, that song came on. I turned it all the way up, and I just hate it when God messes up my groove because uh, that song was playing, and God spoke to me and said, You know what? Sometimes you got to learn to praise me with the shackles still on. Uh, it would be nice to say, Take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. But sometimes a true child of God got to know how to praise God with the shackles still on your feet. Anybody can praise God with a pocket full of money. Anybody can praise God when things are going their way. But sometimes you got to say, Lord, even the shackles don't come off. Even I don't know how I'm going to make it, how about I just praise you anyway? Book of Judges chapter 16 and Acts chapter 16 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 will be our scripture text. I like to lay a scriptural foundation. Y'all trying to get me going without even reading the word. <laughs> Judges chapter 16, beginning at verse number 20. And she said, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wished not the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him, put out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza, and bound him with fetters of brass, and he did grind in the prison house. Howbeit, verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after he was shaven. And verse 30, and Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed himself with all his might, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people that were therein. So the dead which he slew at his death were more than what he slew in his life. Acts chapter 16 and verse 24. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loose. Last portion of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that, he might be, that you might be able to bear it. 
for a few moments, I'm going to preach on the topic of the way to escape. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord. Quicken your word to our minds and let us be changed to your image. Uh, let your glory fall on us and let us become more like you tonight. We pray. Put your hands together. You may be seated. You see, God made everything and everything was good. But God knew that everything was not going to stay good. And the scripture we read talked about that any temptation that comes to you, you're not the first one to go through. It's a common thing. Uh, but God has a way that no matter what you go through, uh, there's going to be a way to escape no matter what you face. Uh, and that's just a part of God's uh, very DNA. Uh, you see, because while the hands uh, of God uh, was making Adam from the dust of the earth, uh, the mind of God, the logos, the thought of God was making a lamb that would come and die for the man he was creating because God made man uh, and wanted man to stay in the garden forever. But he said, you know what? Adam's going to mess up. Eve's going to mess up. And if Adam and Eve didn't mess up, one of us would have ate it in this room tonight. And God said, there must be a way to escape. I will robe myself in flesh and go out and die for my creation. When you cut your skin, uh, your entire body begins to race to the point of that cut uh, and says, God did not make your skin to be cut. Uh, he put into your body that you would just respond in a way that the skin begins to constrict and the blood vessels constrict and the blood flow stops and it begins to heal because God said, so whatever I make, there's got to be a way back. I was raised in Liberia, West Africa, and they don't have the best means uh, of irrigation and farming and, fer and fertilizing in the agricultural society. And uh, going down there when I first went, I was in field after field uh, that was burned and just ash on the ground. And I said, what horrible forest fire happened here? They said, no, they've learned that after they planted their crops so many years, uh, that one year the crop is not so good. Uh, and that year they would burn the crop and not harvest it because they're something that God put inside the soil that after the fire the ashes uh, replenish the soil and the farmer can go back and get the best crop that he ever has made because why even after fire God put something in nature that said there's got to be a way for my creation to come back uh, and I come to tell somebody that we serve a God that has built uh, a way to escape and every bit of his creation there's always a way out. There's always a path forward and God always has a plan. You see, Christianity doesn't keep you immune from problem. Uh, Christianity gives you a God that can bring you through problems. Let's be honest. We cause most of our problems anyway. Uh, amen. Uh, we blame it on the devil, but most of our problems are self-inflicted. But the Bible says whether you buffet it for your sins or your own faults or buffet it when you did nothing wrong in 1 Peter, just to be faithful and rejoice because the God that we serve is able to bring you through. Peter was sinking. Amen. Daniel in the lion's den. It don't matter where you find yourself because why? There's always has to be a way to escape. You see, I enjoy reading all the miracles of Christ and all the great things he did. Blind Bartimaeus uh, calling out to Christ uh, and asking, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. But for some reason, 
I've always been more fascinated, not by the ones that cried out to Jesus, but the ones that Jesus went to. You see, because one day he told his disciples, we must need to go through Samaria. You see, Samaria was the wrong part of town. Samaria was people that don't look like us. Samaria is a part of town that you make sure that your cars are locked and you try to take the bypass on the interstate because you don't want to drive through Samaria. Everybody has horror stories of their time their friend went through Samaria and what happened to them. And the Jews would travel miles out of their way to not go through Samaria. But one day Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. And why did he go to Samaria? Because there was a woman there who had had five husbands and was now living with someone that was not her husband and she was walking late that morning on the way to the well and I could see her crying and saying I want to change my life I want to do better I want to something I don't know what I need but there's no way out for me and of all the people in Israel Christ stopped and said I got to go there because part of my creation says I don't have a way out and he says there must be a way to escape so the whole entourage had to go through Samaria for one woman he went one day to the pool of Bethsaida and the Bible says that every time the waters were troubled the first one into the water was healed and I don't believe he went there that day to heal just one person he started walking around and said will you be made whole No, my son is here to throw me in the water. We got a good position this time. We got our strategy plan. When the water's trouble, I'll be first. Uh, Will you be made whole? No, I'm good. I've been here so long now. I'm just hanging out with my friends. We're just living here, playing cards and having a good time. Uh, But he came across one man. He said, will you be made whole? Uh, And the man had been there 38 long years. And he said, sir, I want to, but I have no man. I have no hope. I have no way to get into the water. I thought my son would come. My nephew would come. I thought somebody would help me. But Jesus said, wait a minute. You are part of my creation. There must be a way to escape. Rise. Take up your bed and walk. Because if you think there's no way out for you, you are one step away from your greatest miracle because that's when God shows up. You don't have to look for God. God comes looking for you because he said, there's got to be. There's got to be a way out. I can't have part of my creation feeling like there's no way out for them. And the one man in the Bible, the devil thought he had locked up for good, was a man by the name of Legion. He had been cast out into the land of the Gadarenes, out of his mind. His family wanted nothing to do with him. Uh, They would chain him up to protect himself from hurting himself. uh, And he would break the chains. uh, And he would rip off his clothes. uh, And he lived in a graveyard and was full of demons, running around naked and bloody and full of the devil. If the devil had anyone that he thought was firmly in his grasp, uh, it would have been a man called Legion in the Gadarenes on the other 
side of the Sea of Galilee. And there was a storm that day. And Christ said, let's pass to the other side. Then he fell asleep in the boat. The disciples almost died in the storm. And they were probably mad at Christ and saying, we knew we shouldn't have sailed today. You told us we had to go out. We looked at the weather app and it was going to be a bad day. And now you're sleeping and we're about to die. Why did you make us come out in this storm? What they did not know was even for a man named Legion, full of the devil, bloody and cutting himself. He said, I got to go to the gatherings. Legion cannot come to me, so I must go to Legion. The only time that Christ deviated from what he was sent to do, to go find people who would not come to him, was when people felt like, I have no option. I have no way. And so Christ said, you can't come to me, so I'm going to come to you. Greater faith, let me tell you something. Your pastor is a visionary, unlike anybody else I've ever seen. A $91,000 offering of Christmas for Christ. Most pastors would think that would look good in their savings account. Just being frank with you. His vision took me by the school he's looking at the Lord blessing with. Talking about the big building, the mall he's looking at moving to. And you look at it and say, Pastor, come on, you can't be serious. Uh, how could that be? Well, let me tell you something about your pastor. I go to a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, and they know I work in North American missions. And they say to me, after we eat, let me drive and take you to the place that's going to be our next campus. Let me drive and take you to the place that's going to be our next daughter work. Let me drive and tell you to the place of the next church we're going to plant. And up until going with your pastor, every time they take me, it's a place with gated communities, Starbucks on every corner, the most beautiful mall you've ever seen. High income area. But you know what the Bible says about those people? The church of Laodicea, he said, I wish that you were uh, hot or cold because you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because why? They say, I am rich and have need of nothing. Uh, and God told them, because you say you are rich and have need of nothing, in my eyes you are naked and wretched and blind and poor and destitute, uh, but where your pastor is looking to go, I did not see any Starbucks. Uh, where your pastor is looking to go, I did not see any gated communities. Where your pastor is trying to go, the people know I am poor, I am blind, I am wretched, I am destitute. He's trying to go to places where people don't have hope, where people don't have choices, where people have given up on life. I come to tell somebody the reason why greater faith is going to do what God has given to Bishop Nichols is you are going where Jesus would go. I'm not preaching against starting churches for the caramel macchiato sipping crowd. Uh, don't get me wrong. Everybody needs to be saved. But I come to tell somebody, if you want to go 
where Jesus would go. If you want to go where Jesus would walk, those people one day hopefully will come to their senses and come and look for Jesus. But Jesus only went to people that said, I don't have a way out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm at the end of my rope. And when you look for those people, You're going where Jesus went. Some of you say, well, that sounds well and good, preacher. Sounds poetic, flowery, sounds good. You don't know what I'm going through. I've tried to jump out of this situation. Now i got a headache. I've hit my head so many times. I've tried to wiggle out of a situation, uh, and my shoulders hurt. My back, I've tried to dig out, uh, and my hands are bloodied. Uh, Pastor, I don't know what you're talking about. I come to tell you something today. God never said you would make a way to escape. See, God said he would make a way to escape. You, you see, in some of the problem that we have is see, we don't understand how God works. We don't take the time to look into the scripture to see how God works. You know, when my oldest daughter was young, probably about four or five years old, back then I was, had a lot more hair. You know, they had those afros on top low fade on the side, so I have several inches of hair on the top. One thing that will probably surprise you, such a massive-looking man that I am, I have a very tender scalp, you know, and my scalp always hurts me. And every day I would come home from work, my daughter would say, Daddy, sit down, let me comb your hair. In one hand, she would take the brush, and she would hit me as hard as she could. Just boom, boom, boom. With the other hand, she'd take and grab that afro and pull as hard as she could. And I'd be crying tears. I was in so much pain from being hit and being pulled tears. And my, my wife would say, why you let her hurt you like that? I said, well, she's so happy. You know, I just with that first child. It made her happy. But I sat there one day as my daughter was beating up on me. And I said to myself, what makes this beautiful little girl want to beat up on her dad? But they didn't hit me. That's how she feels when mommy's combing her hair. You know, when mommy says, sit down and comb your hair. All of the mom said, bam, 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 pull, 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 bam, 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 pull, pull, pull. She did not realize there was a beautification process going on. There was a sanctification process going on. There was a reason to the pain she was feeling and what she was going through. And some of you, you don't understand how God works in your life. You feel like that God just beating you up and God just punishing you. And that's why some of you beat up all the new converts. You say, well, if God beat me up, if the pastor beat me up, I'm on beat you up too. There's a process that God has taken you through. There's a process that God put the man of God into your life to take you through. Sometimes you don't want to understand the pain in the process and what you're going through in the sanctification process, but there's a purpose and a plan to what God is doing. See, let's look at Acts chapter 16. See, Paul and Silas, they were arrested for preaching the gospel. And they told the jailer, keep them safe. We read Acts 16 and 24. The jailer took his charge very serious. He not only put them in prison, he put them in the inner prison, in the dungeon, in the darkest, dirtiest, wettest part. Then to be on the safe side, the Bible says he locked their feet in stocks. That means they were sitting down, not like comfortable jails we have today with, you know, you know, uh, th you know three meals in a cot. They weren't like that back then. It was an ugly, dirty, dingy, dangerous place. 
and they had their feet locked up in stocks where they could not move a muscle. Now, let's say myself and Bishop Nichols were back during that time. You know, and God came and said, okay, boys, I got a job for you. Paul and Silas are in jail. I need you to go there and get them out. Well, I said, you know, Bishop, I had a security camera business. I got some expertise. First thing let's do, let's get the camera feeds and review the situation. Lord, let us see the, okay, we got a plan. We need two angels and some keys. We're going to go in there. You're going to help the angels overpower the guards. It's going to be very simple. We're going to go in there. We're going to unlock Paul. We're going to unlock Silas, put our arm around him, and we just walk out the jail. That, that's just common sense. That's how we would think they will be delivered. Let's look at what actually happened here. The Bible says in the next verse that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them in the darkest part of the night. They begin to pray, and they begin to sing praises unto God. Now, these prisoners, they weren't used to hearing praise in the prison. Uh, they were used to hearing some rap music, a uh, little bit of country music. Haven't heard nobody in there having church anymore like that. Uh, but let me tell you something. They didn't just pray, but they also praised. You know, it's easier to pray than to praise. You know why? Because prayer is about what I need. But praise is about what God needs. Prayer is requesting God to change your situation. But praise is saying, if not, I still will do what you call me to do. In prayer, you tell God about your problems. In praise, you bless him in spite of your problems. In prayer, you tell him what you need. Uh, in praise, you praise him in spite of what you need. Uh, and prayer is all about you, but praise is all about him. Let's be honest here. If we had to pick for God to inhabit our praise or God to inhabit our prayer, we would pick inhabit our prayer. Let's just be frank here. If I have a need... I would rather you help me with my need than help you with your need. If I got a need, Bishop Nichols, and I call you, I want you to help me. And you're like, well, I got something I need you to do. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's what this phone call was all about. The phone call was about my need. But God says, let me explain something to you, honey. Forget about your needs. I don't inhabit your prayer. Your prayer is about what you need. Praise is about what I need. So take your eyes off of what you need to take your eyes off what's hurting you. Take your eyes off your situation and say, God, don't worry about what I need right now. I come to give you what you need. And when you give God what he needs, then God will ask you what you need and your prayers get answered because of your praise. And guess what happened? The prisoners were wondering what these men of God were going to say. And much of their surprise, they were praising God. They were singing songs. They thought they'd be upset and they'd be, you know, discouraged. Then verse 26, God decides, okay, Paul and Silas, I'm about to answer your prayer. But look at the order that God answered their prayer. They're still locked up in the dungeon. Their feet are tied up. And they can't move a muscle. I already told you, me and Bishop Nichols, the first thing we would have done was to unlock them and get them out of harm's way. In verse 26, the first thing that happened, there was a great earthquake. That the foundations of the prison were shaken. 
So wait a minute, God. Wait a minute, God. I'm not understanding something. You mean to tell me just for preaching the gospel, uh, I'm in a dungeon. Uh, I'm tied up in stocks. Uh, I got stuff crawling over my leg, lizards, snakes, frogs. I don't know what's going on. In the morning, they're going to cut my head off, and now I'm dealing with an earthquake. The very ground beneath me is shaking. I'm still bound. I can't move a muscle. I'm still trying to praise you, but the very ground beneath me is shaking. Bricks are falling off the wall. That big brick almost hit me in the head. What's going on, God? I haven't been untied yet. I haven't been blessed yet. I come to you for a way to escape from this prison, and instead of escaping from the prison, I'm now dealing with an earthquake. But you know what? God was saying, before I will set you free, the foundations of what used to bound you has got to be destroyed. Because once I destroy the foundations of what binds you, you can't go back to that prison. You can't go back to that cell. It's been taken down. It's been destroyed. I know you still can't move a muscle. You trying to say, take the shackles off my feet so I can dance. I'm still bound up and now the ground is moving. Now the building is shaking. But God says, guess what? I got to destroy what binds you. Because too many times, God delivered you, go right back to your same old mess. Come to church and testify. Pastor, I got a testimony. I've been set free. And the pastor go on Facebook, you back in bondage. See the lifestyle you live in. See what you're up to. But God said, this time, honey, we gonna, I'm going to leave you locked up. And I'm just going to destroy the foundation of what used to bind you. Now, the second thing he did really confused. Keep in mind, they're still locked up. Look at the next thing in the verse he did. All the doors were open. They would have been satisfied with just one door. But all the doors are open. Look here. Open door here. Open door here. Open door here. Open door back there. But there's just one problem. I'm still tied up in the stocks and I can't move a muscle. I can look all around me. Here's another open door. Here's it. But I can't move. I, I'm frozen in place because my chains are still on me. My feet are still in stock. What kind of cruel game is this God for you to show me an open door out of my situation? What kind of cruel game is this that I see an open door that I cannot get to? It's a horrible place to be, to always be a day late and a dollar short. You see an open door, but you just can't get there. If God would just give you what you think you need, the door is open for you to go. But let me tell you something. I believe the reason why God opens doors before he unlocks you is that to be quite frank with you if God unlocks you first, you're willing to live in the prison because now the chains aren't on you. You don't care anymore about open doors. See, what the devil likes to do is let you come to church for two hours on a Sunday, run the aisles and feel good, and the moment you hit those doors, 
that bear hug of, of sin, addiction, depression, feeling down. He locks you right back up, and you live in hell six days a week, and you come to church for two hours and feel good. So God says, honey, I leave you locked up right now. You see that open door, and you see that open door, and you see that open door, but I'm not letting you loose yet because I'm still working some things in your life because uh, this time when you get up and walk through that open door, I don't want to see you come back into this prison. So I want to show you there is a better way for your marriage. There is a better way for your future. There is a better way for your ministry, but you ain't ready to walk in that yet. You still got some things in you I have to work out. So I'm going to open the door, but you can't walk through it yet because I want to make sure you never get back here again. Horrible. Baby, look out of darkness and see light, but you can't get to it right now. Horrible feeling to have to be frozen in place with open doors around you. But you know, funny thing about doors, doors work two ways. And when those doors opened up, people walking by could look in and see the prisoners bound. And God forbid any of you. Dare to look at a new convert. I know you got a nice car now. I know you smell good. You weren't always this cute, though. You didn't always drive what you drive now. And some of y'all dare to look at people that come in the house of God and they're still bound. And you look through the door and see them down and you dare to talk about them. But Paul said, and such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus. I want to tell somebody today, don't ever look back into the prison of people that are still bound and judge them because that used to be you. But God was faithful and God brought you out and God's showing them an open door that no man can shut and your job is to help them. Help them get through that door. So after the earthquake came and knocked the prison foundation out of the way, after the doors were open, they were still locked up for a little while, but now they knew how to walk to get out of this mess they've created, how to get out of the place they were. To never come. Then the third thing we thought would have been first, look what happened. Everyone's bands were loose. Now, to be honest, I'm sure when Paul and Silas were praying and praising, they weren't saying, well, God, you know, I want you to unloose mine and Silas's bonds, and also that mass murderer over there, that rapist over there, we want you to, you know, loose him too. I'm sure Paul and Silas knew the rest of them people deserve to be in jail. Uh, and when Paul and Silas were praising God, when Paul and Silas were praying to God, they were praying for their deliverance. Uh, but there's something about a child of God. When God gets ready to move, God said, I'm not just going to unloose you. I'm going to take your whole family. Amen. I'm going to unlock all of them. I'm going to take the people around you when I get ready to do what only I can do. That's why it's taking me a little bit longer to let you go. Because guess what happened? When that foundations of the, the ground was shaking, it wasn't just for Paul and Silas. Everybody in the jail, their foundation was shaking and what used to bound them was being destroyed. And I believe the reason why God opened all the doors, Paul and Silas only needed one door, but that murderer needed a door. That rapist needed a door that no good person needed a door and when all the doors were opening it wasn't just for Paul and Silas to get out but he says you know what we're going to take all of you out of here 
It's not just for me. Uh, it's going to be my whole house. Uh, it's going to be my family. It's going to be my neighbors. When I get delivered, I am taking everybody with me. Let me tell you something. Your boss needs to know that your job is blessed because you are there. Your neighbor should cut your grass because your neighborhood is blessed because you are there. Amen. Your classmates shouldn't try to make you be like them because the school is blessed because you are there. Tell your neighbor, weeping may endure for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. And when the morning comes, I'm taking you with me because I know my Redeemer lives. It's not just for me. I'm going through this not just for me, but everybody going to get a way of escape. But sometimes because God doesn't unlock you first, sometimes when you're going through the foundation shaking, sometimes when doors open that you can't get to, you get discouraged and say, God, uh, I don't see a way to escape. Uh, but there's a process. There's a plan. There, there's things that God is trying uh, to take you through. I, I, I see too many Christians that are in a rut. You know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with both ends knocked down. You're already buried. Just one day you're finally going to take your last breath away. He's already in a rut. Let's just put the ends on this box and we're done with him. God don't want you to be stuck in a rut. God don't want you to not have no growth. Uh, God don't want you to move forward. Uh, I was telling Bishop Nichols, you know, I used to tell my church in Tampa all the time, my job is not for you to have a good time in church. Uh, my job is for you to have a good time in life. And I'm in their faith. Wait a minute, honey. You've been coming too long to not be blessed financially. You've been coming along with your marriage to still be suffering. You've been coming along to still be addicted to the same thing. You've been coming too long to have a new common-law husband every other week. I'm about tired of that. What's going on? Amen. God's got a way of us. God's got a plan for your life. God's got a door to open. God is doing great things for you. Because why? There must be a way to escape. That's why he said, I got to go to Samaria. I got to go to the pool. I got to go to leisure. Because for all of my creation, there must be a way to escape. Then we read the story of Samson. One of the most famous stories in the Bible. But you know, I think we misread the story of Samson. Because most times you see a picture of Samson. Samson is a big guy. Big old muscular guy. You know, but my feeling is this. If Samson was a big old muscular guy, nobody would say, how did he do that? How did he slay that many people with a jawbone of a donkey? How did he take the gates off that city? I believe Samson was about five foot tall. Weighed less than 100 pounds soaking wet. I believe because nobody would ask. I met uh, Elder Jackson's son, Eric, today. Nobody going to ask Eric with the gate. Where you are right there. Man, you're like a linebacker. You told them. Nobody going to say, how did Eric do that? They're going to say, man, that's a big guy, and he's strong, and he's able to do that. But let me, I believe Samson was just a scrawny little runt, and nobody knew how he had the power that he had. But God had told him and gave him a promise and said, what, never let anything cut your hair. It's a vow between you and God, and never let anything cut your hair. And I wondered many a times, I said, God, let me ask you a question. Why would you put the strength of Samson in his hair. Because I don't know if you can tell. I try to keep my hair low so you can't tell. I'm getting bald on the top. You know, hair is one of the most fragile parts of your body. You know, why did you not put his strength in his arms, in his feet, in his shoulders? Something that was a little bit stronger. But I read this story, and we know about Delilah. Like many great men of God, got with the wrong woman. 
and that was the end of their ministry. And Samson, now men can be dumb when they're in love, but Samson was really dumb for a man. Because three times Delilah came to him and said, tell me where your great strength lies. Now you would think when he said, buy me with seven brand new green wits, and she did it and called the Philistines into his room, common sense would say, Samson, she don't mean you no good. Then the second time, he said, if you bind me with new ropes, she bound him with new ropes, told the soldiers to come. Samson, how stupid are you? The army shows up, the Philistines. Then the third time, what happens? You keep playing with the devil. You get closer and closer to, the, to giving up the truth. He said, if you weave my hair. See, he's starting to mess around now with his blessing, with his promise. Third time they come in, Samson, you are done. I'm sure it's payment. You know, I, I, it's so funny. I, people come to me and say, Pastor, you know, I had no idea that this man was no good for me. I said, can I call your mom and your sister? Oh, no, don't call them because they try to tell you. Somebody in your life tried to tell you, so don't come here acting like you did not know. Pastor tried to tell you. I never found somebody with the wrong person that nobody tried to tell them that man or woman wasn't good for them. And I'm sure Samson was the same way. His whole family like, Samson, get away from her. But finally, Samson, after playing with the devil for all of that time, he finally told her the truth. He said, if you shave my hair, and she could say, he told me his whole heart, I'll become like other men. And this time, one of the saddest verse in the Bible, the Bible says, Samson awoke and shook himself as before, but he wished not that the power of God had departed from him. See, some of y'all play with God, so you just come in and shake a little bit. Oh, it's here. I can still sing. I can still preach. I can still teach. I can still do whatever. I'm just going to shake myself. You know, no matter what I was doing online last night, no matter where I went to, no matter what I'm involved with, no matter who, I, I just come in and shake myself. Uh, but this time, it was different. Because when his hair was shaven, amen, he became as weak as, and they took him. And the enemy did three things. The Bible says the first thing, he blinded him. See, the first thing the devil does is he takes away your vision. He blinds you. He takes away your vision. But you know what, Bishop, one thing I've learned when people messing up in the church, the devil takes away their vision where they can't see what they're doing wrong, but they're the biggest tattletales in the church. <laughs> Folks come to me and say, Pastor, you know what, so and so, wait a minute, honey, you're doing something. That's why you see everybody else mess. All you tattletales, y'all trying to hide your dirt. Amen. I learned that the heart. So you're doing something. That's why you want to tell everybody else. Uh, but the devil blinded him because the first thing the devil does uh, is takes away your vision so you can't see what he's doing to you and your family, how he's taking you down because he came to steal, kill, and destroy. So he blinds you and takes away your vision. Look at the second thing he did. He bound him. Takes away your hope. Locks you up when you're bound. Uh, he keeps you away from your family, from your friends, or from your church. You know, there's something about sin that brings separation. You know, if you and somebody else get together for 30 minutes and talk about one of your friends like a dirty dog, then that person walking them, you just feel, I got to go. They, why are you leaving? You feel guilty. Now there's separation between you and your friend because sin separates you. Sin separates you from your wife, from your husband, from your church. It binds you and separates you away to all you have left is you in that sin. That's how addiction starts. But the second the enemy did, he bound him. Then look at the third thing in verse 21. He put him 
to grind and grind. So here was Samson thinking, how stupid was I? Delilah three times tricked me. The fourth time I told her the truth, his eyes are plucked out. He can't see. Amen. Uh, he's pound where he can't move. And he's grinding and grinding and grinding and grinding for the rest of the grinding. And some of how you live your life, just grinding, just trying to make it. You've given up on, you know, to, when you were a kid, where are you going to be? I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a policeman. I'm just trying to make it a Friday. I'm just, trying to make, I'm just trying to make it through this church service. I'm just trying to hold on for one more day. The enemy has got you grinding and grinding. You've been, you have no vision. don't even know what you want to do anymore. You've been bound. Uh, amen. Don't know. And now you're just grinding uh, and grinding uh, and grinding uh, and grinding and grinding. But I was reading a story one day. I want you to look at verse number 22. Reading a story one day, and I asked God, I said, why did you have to put the strength in this earth? God began to talk to me. Because look at what verse 22 says. How be it? The hair on his head began to grow again. And God said, you know why I had to do that? Because even for Samson, there had to be a way out. Because I believe that every day Samson was there, blinded, bound, and grinding. And he would, he would just rub that bald head in shame. Day after day, week after week, that bald head was a reminder of his sin, a reminder of his shame, a reminder of how stupid he could be that Delilah could do that to him four times. Samson, you're the dumbest man in the world. And he would rub that bald head and rub that bald head. And one day, much to Samson's surprise, he felt a little tingle. He felt a little stubble. It wasn't flowing down his back like it used to. But every day as he rubbed, it grew and it grew and it grew. And some of you in the house of God today, you don't feel God like you used to feel God. You used to come to church and you would just hit this altar and you would just feel God in such a way. And he was so real to you. But now you come to church and it's not like it used to be. It's just a little tingle. It's just a little stumble. It's just a little portion of what it used to be. And you wonder to yourself, what's wrong with me? Why can't I feel God the way I used to? But God is saying, I just want you to know I am still here. I just want you to know there is a way to escape. Even for Samson that allowed Delilah to trick him. God said, I put his secret in his hair because they cut his arms off. There's no way back. They cut his legs off. There's no way back. They took his shoulders off. There's no way back. And God said, even for Samson that messed up as much as he did, and now he was blinded and bound and grinding but how be it the hair the restoration the process of the way to escape even had to work for Samson and he told little boy take me to the house of the Philistines in verse 30 and he grabbed those pillars and said God I can feel you coming back I can feel that little tingle give me back my strength one more time and in Samson's death he killed more Philistines than he did his entire life your best days are yet ahead of you it's not over for you your ministry not over your future not over because why there must be a way to escape and all of God's creation because just when you think there's no way out for you, God's going to walk down a Samaritan road. God's going to come to the backside of the gathering. God's going to come to the pool of Bethesda and say, my child. There has to be 
a way to escape. You know, I'm not one to watch movies, but I watched a couple of film classes during my time. When I was young, you'd like those action film classics, and you'd have the star. He'd be tied up in the bottom of a basement. There's a bomb clicking next to him. In 10 seconds, the bomb's going to go off, and it's going to kill his wife and kids, and the whole world's going to be destroyed. And I'm sitting there, come on, come on, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, or something says inside of me, he's the hero of this movie. They're not going to kill him. You know, that, at the last second, he wiggles free, stops the bomb, saves his wife, saves the country, and he's a hero. Why? Because he's a hero. And I come at you are God's hero. You are God's hero. And God said, your story came in where it is right now. You are God's hero. He died for you. And that's why God says there must be a way to escape. It will not end where it is right now. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care if you're like the woman at the well with five divorces. I don't care if you're like Bethsaida, 38 years. I don't care if like Legion, your family has cut you off. There must be a way to escape. It's a part of God's very DNA. Like I'm going to tell somebody the foundations are shaking. The doors are opening. And one day God's going to unloose not just you but everybody around you because there's going to be a way back. There's got to be a way. Just rub your head and say, I can feel the glory coming back. I can feel his presence coming back. I'm still alive. There's still hope. God that I serve, he's going to make it work because why? There must be a way to escape. Come on, somebody. Let's dance on the devil tonight and say, devil, as long as I can feel that tingle, that's all I need. Amen. My hair's growing back. My glory's coming back. I'm not going to be bachelor no more. I'm not going to be lukewarm no more. I'm coming back, and I'm a child of God. I will be blessed. I will prosper. My family will make it. I will go through because there's got to be a way to escape. Come on, somebody. Let's come forward and praise God. I want you to praise. I don't want you to pray. Forget about what you need. Let God inhabit your praise. Don't come down here asking God for nothing. Come down here and give God what he needs. Just praise him like Paul and Silas praise him. And let him show up and destroy some foundation. Let him show up and open some doors. Just praise him. Praise him. Praise him. Don't ask him for a thing. Just praise him and say, God. God, I know there's a way. Come on and praise him, somebody. Let him open up a door for you. Let him shake some foundations for you. Let him do what only God can do. There must be a way to escape. It can't end like this. It will not end like this. You're God's hero. You're somebody to him. He's not going to let it end like this. I don't care who's against you. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. Come on, God's hero, and let's praise him right now in Jesus' name.